Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. This week's episode is all about rural sex ed with Tanya Turner. Tanya is an artist, organizer, and creator of the Appalachian Sexual Health Project, Sexy Sex Ed. Sexy Sex Ed is a workshop series that compels teenagers and people of all ages to openly discuss personal and political consent, sexual safety, and anatomy. Using visual and performance art, open dialogue, and popular education methods, Sexy Sex Ed fills a vital gap in reproductive education as a creative cultural healing solution in rural Appalachia. Let's give a big warm welcome to Tanya. This season, we've teamed up with a pleasure-positive and joyful brand called SmileMakers. SmileMakers' mission is to normalize the perception of female sexuality. They do this by creating elegant vibrators and lubricants and bringing them into our favorite shops. To create their products, they stay up to date with the latest research on female sexuality, but they also work with sexologists to gather pleasure tips that they can share with their community on their blog and on their Instagram, at SmileMakersCollection. Go to www.smilemakerscollection.com to redeem an exclusive offer and get a free bottle of their generous gel lubricant with any purchase above 50 US dollars with my special coupon, SexEdDB. SexEd with DB is supported by Isle. Isle is a collection of high performance, reusable period care products centered on body positivity, ethical business, and sustainability. Isle, previously known as Lunapads, has an entire line of reusable pads, cups, and period underwear that's made from sustainable, technical, and safe absorbent materials. Find out more at www.periodisle.com and use promo code SEXEDDB to get 20% off your first purchase. Follow them on Instagram, at periodisle. SEXED with DB is supported by Clonawilly. Clona Willie has been all about dick since 96, and all kits are hand-assembled in Portland, Oregon. All materials are 100% body safe, extremely high quality, and easy to use and clean. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase of any Clona Willie or Clona Pussy kit at www.clonawilly.com. Follow them on IG, at Clona Willie Kit. Hello, Tanya. How's it going? Hi, it's uh, going good. <laughs> it's <laughs> as going good as can be. Okay. How are you? Yeah, it's I'm I'm okay. You know, <laughs> taking it day by day. Um, really, really interesting time to be interviewing people amidst all this chaos and hardship. Um, and just goes to show that we need to be talking about sex ed and things that we can be doing to help marginalized communities now more than ever. So I'm really, really lucky to have you on the podcast today um, to get to know you and really learn about sexy sex ed. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, And I'd love to start by asking you to share your name, uh, your pronouns, and the title of your organization. 
Yeah, so my name's Tanya Turner. My pronouns are she, her. And I helped start the um, sex ed collective, Sexy Sex Ed. Amazing. And what is Sexy Sex Ed? Um, Where are you guys? What kind of gap are you filling? Um, And who is your audience? Yeah, so Sexy Sex Ed is a, um, it's a pop ed style sex education workshop. And I joke often that you could probably also call it Communication 101, (laughs) Um, Sexy Sex Communication, because a lot of sex ed is about talking things through and being able to process your own emotions and, uh, and articulate yourself and understand your own body and needs and desires. Um, so Sexy Sex Ed um, started out with just me doing s- some ad hoc sex ed workshops at youth camps I was a part of because people asked for them and we didn't there we didn't have a lot of access to it. But we kept hearing from young people that were coming through our camps. It was like um, camps that are by young people for young people. So we were running them ourselves. Um, this was maybe about eight years ago. That group is called the Stay Together Appalachian Youth Network, um, the Stay Project. And so I um, was a part of that early on. And it's where we were hearing from a lot of people like we're not getting sex ed at school. And um, and these are teenagers and people in their 20s all over Appalachia in, in rural places and in small cities on the outskirts of the region. Um, so first it was just kind of a fun thing that I got to do. Um, but then as word of mouth traveled about it, I started getting more requests. And so for the first few years, it was just like by request. Um, if people would ask me if I was able to work it into my, my schedule, I would go do it. And I was out of my own pocket. I was paying for my gas and housing and any supplies. Mm -hmm. I would, I was buying condoms to give out, um, and then uh, in 2016, uh, the end of the year, <laughs> the political landscape seemed to um, feel like a little bit of an earthquake. And mm, big I felt shift like, there. Yeah, right, right around then, I felt um, definitely like reproductive health access, which was, which was already bad where I lived um, and already hard to come by. And was already pretty, pretty alienating to a lot of people, especially queer people, um, was just going to get worse. And um, a lot of even national uh, policies were going to start leaning in a different way. And um, that has come to fruition. That has happened. Around that same time, I was working uh, full time with an education cooperative. And my job was like a text. um, I was doing... um, working in a lot of different classrooms with a lot of different different schools and doing some online learning support. Nothing to do with sex ed, <laughs> but I got a gag order from my boss. I wasn't even allowed to say the word sex ed or birth control. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my job. God. Um, and that was like the week before inauguration in 2017. And that's when I kind of just like had, you know, a lot of leftists and progressives around that time, I think kind of had to come to Jesus about what their Trump years were going to look like. Um, And that was mine. And so I quit my job. (laughs) I quit that job without another job lined up. Luckily, I fell um, fairly quickly into another um, position with an arts education group that I was that was much more um, generous with my time and uh, really supported, supported what I was doing on the side. And even had some of their own youth programming around birth control going on called All Access EKY. 
and so and so all that was happening right where I lived and worked. Um, so I thought that that was kind of a perfect opportunity to start really amping up Sexy Sex Ed. And around that time, 2017, is when I started dry calling youth drop-in centers and youth camps, churches, uh, youth youth groups of all kinds. Um, anywhere that kind of young people were, ga- were gathering, I would like, call and say, hey, I have this little sex ed workshop that's two to three hours. I'd love to come if you all, if you all would have me. Um, and that went really well. I had like a whole summer um, on the road and did like 12 workshops that summer um, and then had a similar summer the next year, um, a similar year from like, you know, March to the fall. I would um, every few weeks be able to do a workshop somewhere. And that was that felt really good, good. But it also just the Sex ed is one of those things where the more you do it, the more you realize how much the more it's needed. Right. Um, and it feels like it's never, it almost feels like it's never enough. Yes, it's definitely never enough. There's always more opportunity, even, you know, even for adults, for those of us who are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s, you know, sex ed really never stops. Um, there's so many pieces of sex ed and that's so amazing that you were able to fulfill that need for so many youth 12 workshops in one summer by yourself that's incredible um so kudos to you for doing that um I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about Appalachia in particular so if you could share maybe some statistics about you know what's going on in Appalachia maybe when it comes to youth or when it comes to teen pregnancy or STIs or kinds of other information about like can you tell us about the region if folks aren't familiar and like why why sex ed there um is particularly important yeah so um you know nationally I think Appalachia has a pretty rough uh um, reputation (laughs) a lot of that's based on you know weird characters that come up in the media and then of course in 2016 as we were talking about that um rural people definitely got a lot of blame for the trump administration um and yeah so but but i think appalachia is a really beautiful place with a, a rich history and culture of music and food and um, community. Um, I live in a very small town uh, in eastern Kentucky, southeast Kentucky, Um, but it has a, you know, a great music scene um, and a really flourishing um, art and kind of food um, network going on. We have a really great farmer's market. A lot of, a lot of people here grow their own food and um, we, um, we have this like we have a moonshine distillery, the state's oh. first, and they're trying to loop it in, you know, to the bourbon trail. Kentucky is very known for our bourbon and horses. Um, but out here, there's less of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd say with the thing that um, people probably know the most about Appalachia is the, the economic struggles. It's been a place that's been really extracted. Our um, minerals have been really extracted here, coal and gas. Um, and a lot of our land has been um, kind of left barren uh, because of that our our water quality is um, questionable mm. a- and when it comes to national stats on health and uh, well-being we often are last we um, have a a really um, unhealthy land and people statistically um, so um, as far as that 
unplanned pregnancy rights in the country, also some of the highest teen pregnancy rights. At one time um, in the early aughts, <laughs> um, it's always so weird to say, <laughs> uh, in the early 2000s, uh, there was a stat that a teenage girl um, um, got pregnant like every six days or something wow. in eastern Kentucky. It was pretty wild. Um, yeah, it was like a pretty bizarre. Um, and even I, when I graduated high school, I graduated high school with like six pregnant girls, had like a graduating class of like 100 people. And uh, several girls already had kids. Um, wow. So... It is um, statistically an area of the country um, that hasn't been given um, as many resources as other places, I would say. Um, and we, of we often struggle to even keep our clinics and hospitals open. So even the like rare, um, the, f the few good, good uh, support health networks that we have are underfunded. Um, and it creates a lot of just trickle down problems for people seeking um, conscious contraceptives or any type of family planning or visioning. Um, and that's not even to start in, in on our school systems um, in across Appalachia. Our, our sex education curriculums are uh, they range from questionable to down, downright violent um, and scary. And certainly abstinence only isn't even the worst. <laughs> it wow. gets worse than that. Yikes. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's a lot of information. Um, definitely makes sense why it's <laughs> super important, why Appalachia has access to sex education resources. Um and in your opinion, after, you know, being a sex educator for how, how many years have you been a sex educator now? Um, I don't know. It feels weird to even call myself that, but I <laughs> guess I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, maybe seven or eight years now. Okay. Yeah. So that's a ton of years. It's definitely enough years to know your way around the block there, especially if that's where you've been focusing. So <laughs> as a, uh, you know, seasoned sex educator, what do you think it means for sex ed to be inclusive and comprehensive specifically for the community in Appalachia and why is it so important for LGBTQ youth to receive this kind of information in sex education? Yeah so one of the you know one piece of this um, you know my background is in organizing and facilitation and so I think I bring a lot of that into a sex ed environment um, and sexy sex ed in particular is a pop ed style workshops. So popular education is a way to teach and learn that is really driven by the people in the room and their own experience and knowledge. Um, so that it was, you know, developed in Latin America to organize poor people. And um, I think it is, it, it lends itself very well to populations um, on the margins, poor folks, queer folks, folks of color. And I learned this style of, teaching and learning at the Highlander Center in East Tennessee, which is, um, you know, a national and certainly a Southern kind of anchor organization for movement work um, here in Appalachia. So one thing that I'll say is that, you know, some of the narrative that I talked about, about Appalachia, of what people think Appalachia is, often doesn't include queerness, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, when you, when, when people hear um, the word Appalachia, they don't immediately think about queerness. And so I think, um, queer, especially queer youth feel invisible a lot of times in their community, wherever they live. But here in Appalachia and in rural places, I think it's um, sometimes tenfold 
because they're so erased from the national narrative about what Appalachia is, even the narrative here about who we are. Um, and they rarely see them, you know, they never, as a queer, as a queer femme from Appalachia, I've never seen myself depicted in the media. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've never seen myself. Um, and uh, even as media gets more diverse, like, um, characters of country and rural people, certainly rural queer people, it's just not making it into mainstream media still. Um, so I think there's a lot of like invisibility problems that um, lead to, I mean, as we know, lead to high rates of suicide and low mental health. Um, so I think there's there's that whole piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it's that the sex ed that is offered in our school systems is so hetero um, and so often um, driven by um, religious leaders um, and led by, uh, you know, political parties that at least lacked to um, show off the ruse that they are religious (laughs) and hide behind that. Um, So it's not only, it it doesn't only make queerness invisible, but it, um, you know, uh, crucified it, it just like talks about queerness as sin and it just um, makes it seem evil right so it's not only uh, it doesn't only push people away but it makes them feel like um, just completely alienated um, totally. it's very violent it, it it's a very violent way to talk to people about their own bodies. Like it's like, this is, if if we don't have anything else in this world, we at least have our own bodies. And so Mm. three of the, um, three of the main components of sexy sex ed are consent and safety and anatomy. And so when we talk about consent, we talk about it as starting with ourselves and our own bodies, but not ending there and really expanding to political consent and who's making decisions about us in our communities, who's making decisions about our water quality that impacts our health, that impacts our happiness, that impacts our sex drive, you know, like it impacts our way, our ability to live and thrive. Mm. That's a really, really good point about like thinking about not only what kids and people are learning about in the classroom or in your workshops, but like how is the environment and how are things around us impacting us, which then impacts our sex lives and our ability to engage in that. Um, So that's a really, really good point. Um, And that's kind of exactly what like intersectional like curriculum is, right? It's kind of like taking all of these different parts of experiences and history and you know really acknowledging how different people who have different identities can interact with what's going on around them based on their circumstances um so that's a really really good point about like the water and just about everything else which it's something we don't we don't really talk about you know when we talk about consent for example like we're not talking about the other environmental constraints that have maybe like or past experiences that have impacted where we are today um so that's yeah just an excellent point um so can you talk a little bit about like so Appalachia is a is like a mostly rural community or like what's the makeup of like the the area of Appalachia um, well, you know, the political boundary of Appalachia is very broad. It starts in uh, the Appalachian region, technically starts in New York and runs all the way down to Georgia, mm-hmm. Alabama. 
areas. So it's a it's actually a large region, um, but the political boundaries of it um, are about you know funding and and access to extra money because it's such. Um, such an economically poor place Mm -hmm. and has and has been you know all of the wealth from this place has been extracted (laughs) and is continuing to be extracted um you know minerals from here and labor from people here fueled the entire industrial revolution and now we um are in the you know trying to survive and and remake and rejuvenate our communities with very little because it's all been extracted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to drag us into an entire <laughs> political history of the region. That's no, a this whole is other great podcast. though. This is really helpful to know. <laughs> yeah, but so that anytime, um, people, you know, people who live in extracted places, um, that that has an impact on their on our bodies and on our health for sure. Um, can you remind me your original question? Yes. Um, I was just asking, like, in terms Sorry. of the makeup of, like, Appalachia, or at least, like, where oh, you right. live in yeah. Kentucky, like, I guess I, I'm curious if you could just talk about, like, how sex ed for rural communities, like, would be maybe different or, um, like, what does your sexy sex ed curriculum for rural communities that you teach, um, how, how is that different or, like, what's what exists in that that maybe urban communities wouldn't have or suburban communities? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So a lot of Appalachian people, whether they identify that way or not, do live in rural places. Much of this part of the re- of the country is rural, but there are small cities. Um, and I'd say our biggest cities is like, you know, Pittsburgh would be technically considered in Appalachia um, and some like, you know, big cities like Birmingham. Um, I think that is a part yeah, that would make sense. Um, I could fact check it. I'll Google it. Yeah, Maybe it's double fine. Check. Definitely Pittsburgh. We joke that Pittsburgh is the Paris of Appalachia. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just a joke I make. I don't know. Maybe that's people very would funny. not buy that. But um, <laughs> uh, it is a lot of folks living in rural places, um, but there are definitely cities and towns. And a lot of rural people end up either um, – going off to school, like going to college in a bigger city outside of the region. Mm-hmm. Like here where I live, a lot of people go um, to state schools in Lexington and Richmond, like Eastern Kentucky University and the University of Kentucky. Those are in bigger cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of migration. So it's not just for learning, but also a lot of, I mean, there are people who um, drive two hours a day to work in cities that live in wow. rural places. You know, it's just like a whole other, um, I mean, I, I kind of think in urban places that some people end up in traffic for that long, <laughs> but definitely, um, yeah. <laughs> but this is like driving, you know, 200, 150 miles for work, like your work commute being 150 miles. It's just wow. crazy. Um, so yeah, a lot of places, a lot of the places where we do sexy sex ed are rural. Um, and even when we're in cities, we often have rural people um, there in our in the learning space. Um, but so I did like last fall, um, a journalist did a story about sexy sex ed and found all these stats about sex education that I didn't even know. And apparently in the U.S. right now, most uh, cities' uh, access to sex education has increased over the past 10 years, and it's uh, been cut almost in half in rural places. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah, and that's all over the country. So it's not just specific to Appalachia, but because so, so much of this place is rural, um, I would hate to see the stats on Appalachia exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that research even exists. I have, I don't know of it um, in particular, but um, it's it's pretty bleak. In the state of Kentucky, um, our state legislature doesn't require any sex education. Um, the the uh, school districts can decide on their own, which you'd think would leave it up for, you know, it being so open that they could really be really creative. But because of funding restrictions and also a lot of other just political realities, they often just, it often doesn't happen or it's abstinence only, or it's even more violent than that. It's just like, you know, I hear crazy stories. Um, when we have, when we have enough time in our workshops, we'll do a go around and ask people what their sex ed stories are, like what kind of sex ed have you had? And they never disappoint. They are always wild and crazy and take us on a whirlwind, um, and so it, it's often very funny. And so it's a good way to open up the workshop to hear these just like really bizarre sex ed stories. Yeah. Could you share, could you share a few without naming obviously any names or anything, but any, yeah. any sort of stories you want to share with our, our listeners right now? Sure. Yeah. I've heard this multiple times that there have been activities like everyone gets a little cup of water and everyone's water is a different color and you have to go around and mix your water color with every, with, you know, three different people. And then, and there's no real, you know, context for this given. And then the teacher's like, okay, if your color, if your water is this color, then you have an STD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. Banana shit. Right. Right. Um, or, um, you know, just g- giving out information that's like, you know, uh, if you have sex before marriage, you will get AIDS and oh, it will likely well, kill that's you. that's not true at all. Really? Oh, yeah. Just really bizarre bananas, crazy, violent lies. Like, it's one thing to withhold information from people that can save their lives or make them healthier or happier. Mm-hmm. But it's quite another to feed them very violent lies that will end up really harming them. And in a lot of cases, that's what I'm hearing. And that's what makes this so scary and makes it feel like um, Sexy Sex Ed has so much work to do, right? Right. And in, in that sense, like, obviously, it's horrible for, like you said, for people to withhold information that's, like, potentially life-saving. And yet, that option is probably better than, like, yeah. having to have people unlearn all of the really awful, untrue, medically inaccurate, shaming, stigmatizing information that they're that they're being given because it takes so much time and therapy and a lot of, um, you know, positive like mentors and people in your life that have to come about and not everyone gets that. Not everyone gets that access. So that's awful. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we there's even, you know, some of the most heinous stories are about conversion therapy, young, young people under 18 kids being forced into conversion therapy mm-hmm. when they've tried to come out as queer, because that's still legal in most of our states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have an interview. Um, we have an episode this season on um, the Trevor Project, and we have someone on named Sam who shared their story about conversion therapy and just how, you know, all of the awful things that come from it and just the statistics about how many young people are, you know, being forced into these conversion therapy programs that are extremely harmful for them and have obviously zero scientific basis and only cause more you know, likelihood of LGBTQ youth, like wanting to or attempting to commit suicide. Like that's clearly the outcome that comes from these harmful 
therapies and yeah which isn't even therapy you know that's it's like harmful to even call it therapy because that's not what it is um but anyway we digress um so can you kind of walk through maybe like one of your most popular workshops and kind of like what kinds of activities you do who the age group is for like what your kind of like deliverables or like goals are for that workshop Yeah, so the main workshop that we do right now is two to three hours long, and we say that it's for all ages and all bodies um, because we really have had a pretty wide range of people in the room, and it's went pretty well even to have teenagers mixed in with people in their even up to their 30s and 40s. Um, I think it's best with it's like older teenagers and people in their 20s. That's kind of the best age group um, because they are going through similar things and have a lot of information to share with one another. Um, But even with a wider range of ages, it still has went really well, um, surprisingly well. But because just like you said, we never we should never stop learning and trying to seek out knowledge, certainly about our bodies and desires and our bodies and desires are changing all the time. Mm Um, so even people in their forties who have like come into the workshop as an ally, like they've brought teenagers to the workshop have come to me and said, now, you know, they wanted to come to this, so we're letting them, but if it gets too weird, we're going to have to leave. I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, whatever. You can leave anytime, but I think it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the workshop, they'll come up to me and be like, I'll actually learn so much myself. Thank you so much. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, and it's because I think the, you know, really the reason for this is, is the popular education style where, as a facilitator, as an educator, we have a team. Um, Sexy Sex Ed now has a team of about a dozen educators in oh, five wow. states. Yeah, so we had a training for trainers last year, and have this this incredible group of educators now who are, are who are still learning and getting better, um, but are now just kind of like these little like shiny beacons in their community. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are still in high school, and they're like handing out condoms and Plan B out of their lockers. They're just oh. like total gems just absolutely yeah just totally incredible and I'm so thankful for them and I've learned so much from them like sexy sex ed has gotten so much better because of their input and guidance and you know teenagers come to them with questions that they may not have be feel safe coming to me with you know Mm -hmm. um so anywho we have like a three-hour workshop um that we normally do that's our like go-to Um, and like I said, it focuses on consent, safety, and anatomy. Um, and we, it's all active. So as a facilitator and educator, we don't do as much talking at people, but people are learning together and bringing their own knowledge and experience into the room. And that's how people, I mean, I think that's how people learn best, how information is best moved around. Mm -hmm. So for instance, uh, we, one of our first activities to kind of break the ice, because you never know what level of like trauma people are bringing to a sex ed classroom and it's really impossible to know that and figure that out Mm -hmm. um and it's such a short time and you don't want to make assumptions um but also just like people are often kind of in a shell sometimes you'll get people really excited to come to a sex ed class and we do experience that some but often people come like eyes wide and mouth shut (laughs) and they're Mm -hmm. like what's about to happen so we break everyone up and we do just like a quick like what are the bodily fluids that can transfer disease and we have people guess what those are 
And that's often funny enough mm-hmm. because people are having to say out loud the words semen and pre-cum and right. breast milk. And people are really shocked. You know, breast milk is usually the one they don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to tell them. But then we break them up into f- four or five groups and have them come up with little like song and dance PSAs. Oh, that's so with, awesome. With these words so that um, they'll never forget. And we say it's like, we should have already known this, right? And it's not our fault. We haven't been given this information. But this is like pretty basic anatomy stuff that we should already know. So we're going to make sure we never forget it. And then we, <laughs> everyone makes a little like song and dance ditty, like a really quick little thing. Um, I love that. that. Are, that are always hilarious, always fun. And so immediately people are saying words they were normally probably came in scared to say. They're like already using language that is often taboo or whatever. Right. And they're like singing and dancing and laughing together. So it just breaks down a lot of barriers right off, right out of the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do draw, we draw our reproductive systems and talk through what's happening in our own bodies. Um, and one of the, I think one of the best parts of our workshop is a Q&A box. So we have an anonymous question box that people are, are able to, you know, stack as much as they want into throughout the workshop. And then at the end, the very last thing that we do is pull out as many as we can with the time we have left and let the group answer the questions together. So I'll read the, or the educator will read the question and then let the group talk about it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it really, that's awesome that you have so much participation from the people who are in the workshops, because like you said, you know, they're going to get the most out of it. They're going to be able to remember that the most if they're able to articulate that knowledge out loud. Um, Yeah. And it's in their own language and how mm -hmm. they would say something. And so when it just makes more sense. And I think that is why it's so important that um, we branched out and have more educators in more places so that people are educating people where they live using like, so they sound like you and look like you and you maybe already know them. You know what I mean? It just makes for a much more safer space and for information to stick in a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, amazing. Um, we have a couple more questions. Um, I want to know like what's to come for Sexy Sex Ed um, and how can people out there support your organization, whether that be online through donations or through posting about it on social media. Um, I would love to know any and all ideas that you have. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we, a lot of our stuff has been canceled because of a global health pandemic and, you might have heard of it, (laughs) COVID-19, AKA Corona. Yeah. And so um, the way we've kind of shifted uh, now, right now, what we're doing um, and, you know, however long this takes, I don't know when this will air, but I think for a lot of this year will be some, there will be some physical distancing involved. Um, So we've been shipping free condoms and plan B to people. Anyone that asks for it on our Instagram, we, and in Facebook, we send it to them. Um, And then we are starting to do a Q and a on our Instagram page. So having people submit questions and doing little Q and a, and then, you know, I keep the the Q and a box, the anonymous questions that we get in our workshops, I keep them. And so they're like cute little slips of paper in different people's handwritings. And so we will, we post those occasionally on our Instagram and then answer them because almost every question that anyone has is also someone else's question. Mm Um, so we've been doing a lot of Q&A on our Instagram during this time. We're trying to amp that up and mailing people condoms because now a lot of places that they would have normally gotten condoms are shut down or they're quarantined in their houses. And so we're trying to help get people. Also, it's just <laughs> I, 
were holed up in the house together. A lot of sex. A lot of sex is going on. Could be a lot of sex going on. We've been saying, you know, your your safest sex partner right now is definitely yourself and talk a lot about um, self-love. But, yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of partner sex happening (laughs) regardless of uh, what the CDC (laughs) advises. Yes. Um, but what we, you know, there's, we have about a team of 12, um, and we, well, we get, a, we actually get a lot of requests for people to be trained and that's actually not what our biggest need is right now. We need people to set up workshops for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we have more workshops set up, um, and certainly ones that can pay a little bit, even a couple hundred bucks, um, we say that a fully funded workshop is about $500, but we've almost never gotten that. So we, the sliding scale is $0 to $500. Right. So an average of like $250 to do a workshop should cover like um, the educators and their time and travel and put a little bit back into the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we try to do. Um, but um, as you imagine, a lot of places here, a lot of rural um, places that are kind of desperate for sex education don't have in their budgets to do. And so it's always a lot to work with. So we've been trying to hit up more um, community college and university circuits on the parameter of the region to help pay for more rural workshops, if that makes sense. Um, because universities often have bigger budgets for things like this and definitely really need it. And we've tried to work a lot more with the community college circuits because that's such a huge population of teenagers um, and young people who ha- are, who come from mostly low-income communities. And, and community colleges, you know, definitely are under-resourced. Mm-hmm. And those, those student bodies don't get as much resources as university students get. Totally. Absolutely. Well, yeah, tell folks who are listening where they can find you, where they could potentially donate if you have a a space online um, and where they can kind of keep up with you on on, uh, social media. Yeah, so we have a great website that we launched this past fall called sexysexed.org. And there you can meet our entire team and see pictures of us. Um, You can um, ask for a workshop. There's a quick questionnaire um, to set up a workshop. If you have any interest, we definitely want to be in contact with you. And then the big um, component that um, we're really proud of is that we've started a reproductive health and um, justice map, sexual health and reproductive justice map of Appalachia, one that did not exist before. Often when you look, often when you look at like national maps of the, of this type of work, Appalachia is not even on it. (laughs) You know, it's just like Uh a blank spot on national maps. And so we've tried to really zoom in on Appalachia and map. Uh, We've mapped over a hundred organizations that are offering progressive, like queer friendly sex, sexual health, excuse me, or other types of sexual and reproductive um, health work or kind of groups in the uh, parameter Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh area that are supporting rural places. Um, So definitely check out that map and you can add to it. That's the best thing about it is it's a growing resource that, um, again, popular ed. We all we all know more than we think we know because we um, can bring in a lot of resources, right, because we can share them. And so adding to that map is something we welcome people to do. Um, there's, it's a quick and easy way to do it there on our website. Um, and then you can also find our Facebook and our Instagram on the website. So on our Instagram where we're kind of most active, we're, um, sexy.sexed. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on, um, 
the podcast. We are so lucky to have you um, and really, really can't wait for you to be up and running again with your events and with your workshops. Um, And I guess if there's like one thing that you could leave um, our listeners with when it comes to uh, what you've learned by doing Sexy Sex Ed, what would that be? Oh, gosh, it's um, probably that, you know, um, we are our best hope, right? We, we're, there's no one coming to change things for us. Like we have to change, change what we have control over. Um, and if anything, there's a lot of people making things worse for us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, each other is what we have uh, and not letting, you know, I think sex ed work. Um, is limited because it's it seems scary like I've definitely things have come out of my mouth that are wrong and I survived and everyone around me lived too and it was fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, we can learn we can be learning all the time even if we trip up here and there Um, and and I don't have all the answers and I'm happy to say like we'll figure that out together I don't know that off the top of my head and so not letting perfect stand in the way of the good I think is really important and being able to um, I think in our in our last training for trainers, um, one of the educators said it really beautifully that we have to be willing to learn in public. Mm. <laughs> and so sometimes that means um, learning in community can, you know, it's 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 not going to be perfect, and we're going to trip up, um, and we're learning all the time and getting better. We're good and getting better. And so I think welcoming yourself into a fold of organizing wherever you are, um, and tie, you know, seeing your liberation tied up with the people around you is really important in this time and certainly in sex ed work. Are you stuck with roommates during quarantine? Or maybe your walls are a bit too thin? Try the silent sex toy, Oh My G from Ioba Toys. The pearl at the top of the toy is designed to directly massage your G-spot that will rival even the greatest oral sex. Featuring a smooth exterior and a C-shaped design, the Oh My G offers a level of G-Spot stimulation you just can't get with another toy. Go to www.iobatoys.com for your new Oh My G. Isle is a woman-owned, social mission-driven business based in Vancouver, Canada. Their goal is to help people have better periods through knowing their bodies and making positive choices. Each of their reusable pads replaces 150 disposables. Check out all of their amazing period products at www.periodisle.com and use promo code SEXEDDB to get 20% off your first purchase. Follow them on Instagram at periodisle. Ever look at your penis or vulva in the mirror and be like, damn, my part is art? Clona Willie definitely agrees. The original penis casting kit, Clona Willie, and the classy counterpart, Clona Pussy, are easy to make, sex positive, and body safe. While Clona Willie makes for the most personalized sex toy on the planet, Clona Pussy makes for the most unique memento. All materials are 100% body safe, extremely high quality, and easy to use and clean. Check them out at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, a.k.a. DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. 
Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time. <laughs>